Welcome to the In Defense of Ska podcast. There's a lot of like, okay, well, you like Ska named three bands that aren't the boss tones. I'm your host, Aaron Carnes, music journalist and author of the book In Defense of Ska. And I'm your co-host, Adam Davis, veteran Ska musician from the bands Omnigon and Link 8. On our show, we aim to push back on the mainstream's negative perception of Ska music. There are so many great untold stories throughout the history of Ska. The show features interviews with everyone from the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones to Fishbone, Fall Out Boy singer Patrick Stump, and the police drummer Stuart Copeland. Join us on In Defense of Ska from the Consequence Podcast Network. Not all that glitters is gold. Half the story has never been told. Because righteousness governs the world. Come take a musical journey. From the suburbs of Long Island to the ghettos of Kingston. A heartbreaking overdose. A disturbing discovery. The last chance to redeem a stolen legacy. Broadcasting live and direct from the rolling red hills on the outskirts of Kingston, Jamaica. From a magical place at the intersection of words, sound, and power. The red light is on. Your dial is set. The frequency in tune to the Rootsland podcast. Stories that are music to your ears. In the reggae anthem Get Up, Stand Up, the Wellers sing, Not all that glitters is gold. Half the story has never been told. My friend Brian always dreamed he could make the world a better place. Maybe by me telling his story, he still can. Consequence Podcast Network presents Rootsland, Season 1, Reggae Junkie Joe. Because sometimes the story is the best song. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello, Opus listener. This is Mijan Zulu, lead podcast producer at Consequence. I'm here today in celebration of the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. To celebrate, we're opening up the Opus podcast archives to re-release seasons focused on some of history's most legendary rap albums. First up, we are going to revisit Fuji's classic The Score, which comes in at number 15 on Consequence's list of the 50 greatest hip-hop albums of all time. You can see the full list at Consequence, and there'll be loads of artist interviews, essays, and more coming out throughout the month. So make sure to check it all out at Consequence.net. You can also snag some of our exclusive hip-hop merch at the Consequence shop. You can find that at shop.consequence.net. And here on The Opus, we're going to keep the party going as we'll be re-releasing episodes about Cypress Hill's self-titled record. So make sure to check back here every Wednesday and Friday for fresh episodes from the archives. Now, let's dive into Fuji's The Score and a happy hip-hop 50th. From the very beginning, hip-hop has borrowed sections of funk, jazz, and soul tracks and transformed them into loops that MCs could rhyme over and people could dance to. Good Times by Chic was released in June of 1979, and you're already hearing the bass line in your head. By August of that same year, the Sugar Hill Gang was taking that bass line into the studio and turning it into the foundation for Rapper's Delight. Even in those baby days of hip-hop, though, that borrowing came with issues. 
Sheik's Nile Rogers and Bernard Edwards sued Sugar Hill Records for copyright infringement, and a settlement was reached that gave the two songwriting credits. Good Times has since been sampled in over 200 songs, and that remains one of the most recognizable loops in all of music. And its use in Rapper's Delight set the tone for the genre to this day. A well-used sample, and especially an unexpected sample, can turn a good song into a great one, and a great one into a hit. In the 40-plus years since Rapper's Delight, the ways in which samples are acquired and the sources from which they're drawn have changed. No genre or audio goes unturned in the digital age, where sounds from around the world are at your fingertips. The Fugees existed in a time sandwiched in between analog and digital. Sounds and samples may have been introduced via crate digging and through the music that Wyclef, Praz, and Lauren grew up listening to, but it was distributed widely on compact disc. And now you can stream all of it from anywhere. But the kinds of music they borrowed still feels like they had the benefit of a Google deep dive. From doo-wop to new age, the Fugees and their producers found just the right blend of old and new to borrow from. And even though they faced their own set of issues along the way, those samples helped turn a great album into a masterpiece. In this episode, we'll make three stops on the score. Three songs that best embody the art of the sample and the depth of musical knowledge that the Fugees brought to the studio. For Consequence of Sound and Sony Legacy, I'm Jill Hopkins, and this is The Opus. This is going to be a good time. Now's a good time to talk about the difference between sampling and interpolation. I'm going to be kind of fast and loose when using these terms here, but to be fair, so do most people when talking about stuff like this. Sampling is using a previously recorded piece of music to create a new song. Interpolation is the practice of recreating an existing melody note for note for an altogether new thing. Earlier, I said that the Sugar Hill Gang sampled Chic on Rapper's Delight, but it was actually an interpolation, as they had their own bass player do the bum-bum-bum part instead of looping the actual Bernard Edwards bass line. The score is full of both kinds of copies, but the samples far outweigh the interpolations. Let's get into Zealots. It might be my favorite track on the album. And it's the song on the score that best distilled what the Fugees were about. There's that inspired sample, a lift from the Flamingo's 1959 hit, I Only Have Eyes For You. You know. Shabob, shabob. Wyclef 
uses the melody from Willie Williams' reggae song, Armageddon Time, on the hook. And it is a match made in heaven. The use of that flamingo sample was decades ahead of its time in the way that it twists and contorts the song to set a mood that's vastly different than the one set by the original. Perhaps you've noticed a theme in the last few years with horror movies and and stuff like Black Mirror, Jordan Peele's Us, and his new Candyman remake. In those trailers and in those films, they update and recontextualize popular music to make us legitimately uncomfortable in our familiarity. That I've got five on it spookiness from us. Ooh, it's so gross. So gross. Let's hear from rapper Psalm One. Just like, yo, that sample, yo, that sample, that's crazy that they were able to think of something so hard over something that was supposed to be so, like, l- lovely. Yeah, it's like a love song, and they turn it to, like, a sound boy burial. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's innovative. Yeah, I, I Only Have Eyes For You is a love song. How? How did it turn into another MC losing life tonight? I love it. And the Fuji's vocals float around that melody without really landing right on it. And the song's looped backing tracks reduce this retro wispiness down to ghostly traces. On paper, it sounds like the recipe for an ambient track. But with the addition of a little boom bap and some expired verses from all three members of the Fugees, it's anything but slight. I haunt MCs like Mephistopheles, bringing swords adamically. Secret service keep a close watch as if my name was Kennedy. Abstract rap, simple with this street format. Gaze into the sky and measure planets by parallax. Check out the retrograde motion, kill the notion of biting and recycling and calling it your own creation. Feel like rock while somebody's watching me. I got no privacy, whether on land or at sea. And for your biting zealots, your rap's a cockapony. If a prick predict with the title track of the score has a dozen samples on it. And if you don't think that I googled how long a score was in time, like Gettysburg Address style, so I could make some sort of cute little wordplay there, you would be mistaken. It's 20, by the way. This a score is 20. It, it didn't work with what I was trying to do. But that's 12 samples on a single song. And five of them are samples of themselves. From the album, the song is on. Okay. So, like, let's put ourselves in the booga basement right now. You're making an album. You're feeling the songs. You're feeling yourself. All of that is to be expected. You need that. You need confidence. You need vanity in hip-hop but to have the confidence in what you've recorded but not released with no outside feedback or sales numbers to validate you that you can just be like you know what we should mix in with the legends of hip-hop 
Africa Bombada, and Eric B. and Rakim. You know what's already on the same level as Planet Rock? You know what would go really well next to the public enemy that we also chose? Us. The Fugees. Who are making the second record after the first record did I... And, and let's use our untested songs that we wrote and recorded ourselves just like a few weeks ago. Yeah. Bet. Let's do it. Put it on tape. That is wild. RuPaul's Drag Race UK Series 2 just ended a little while ago, so forgive me from quoting taste here, but it's the only thing that makes sense. The cheek, the nerve, the gall, the audacity, and the gumption. Now... Nas has sampled himself from New York State of Mind on the message. Those are different albums, though. I mean, Biggie's done it. The Beastie Boys have done it. Outkast has done it. They've all sampled themselves from previous albums' work. When you know that your fans will get the reference, it's a wink and a smile. It's an Easter egg for those in the know. But who does that on the album they're in the middle of making? I guess a group that knows what they have. A group that's got a big score on their hands. God damn it, they were right. You rocking loud, but you ain't saying nothing. Time I settle the score. I, I play my enemies like a game of chess. Playing Mr. Big, I'm gonna get you sucker. Soldiers. Time I settle the score. The Fugees use 41 samples on the score. That's a lot of music. It's a lot of inspiration. And because the music business is the way that it is, for better or for worse, it's a lot of paperwork. It's not glamorous, but it's really important. Because you know what's less glamorous? Getting sued. When deciding if you want to use samples in your work, and then further deciding what samples you want to use in your work, you have to consider, is it ever worth it to borrow someone else's work versus just composing your own loops? And perhaps more importantly, is it worth how much it could cost? A couple of episodes ago, I mentioned Biz Marquis' legal issues with Gilbert O'Sullivan about an uncleared sample of the latter's Alone Again Naturally in 1991. The Biz's Alone Again samples several bars of the O'Sullivan piano riff and followed a similar template to Marquis' biggest hit, 1989's Just a Friend, that also riffed off of a piano loop and a song hook borrowed from Freddie Scott. When sampling technology and practices became part of the norm in hip-hop in the late 80s, the business and legal rules were just like a gray area. A brownish area with points. And issues between sampler and samplee tended to be settled out of court. But after a $1.7 million settlement between members of the 60s rock group The Turtles and De La Soul came around that all stemmed from just a few seconds of a turtle song 
that was sampled by Dela, the game was changed for everyone. A judge found Bismarck Key guilty of infringing on O'Sullivan's copyright and ordered the rapper to pay $250,000 in damages. That changed game was suddenly very litigious. With the score, the Fugees were confronted with a legal issue that almost caused the album to be pulled from shelves altogether. And that was due to a then-uncleared sample of Enya's Bodicea on the single Ready or Not. Joe Nicolo of Roughhouse Records remembers it well. There was the Enya sample that we didn't clear. It wasn't really a sample. It was kind of a replay, but it was a sample, and she freaked out. Now, Enya, for those of you who don't know, is possibly the most famous New Age artist in the world. New Age music is a style of mostly instrumental music that's intended to promote serenity. Remember what was playing the last time you got a hot stone massage? Odds are it was New Age music. But this whole sample clearance wasn't really all that serene. Chris Schwartz from Roughhouse explains how it's supposed to go. The process for getting a sample cleared goes like this. You have to have a copy of the song that you're sampling, a copy of your song with the sample in it, which it becomes an interpolation, meaning that it be, it's a new composition. Both those items go to the publishing company, the label, and the writers. It's a little bit of a complicated affair, but after it's all said and done, as long as there's nothing offensive about it, most people are going to be inclined to want to let it get used for the simple fact that it's a new copyright to go out there and go out and generate income, especially if the artist that's requesting the sample use is a marquee name artist. So, you know, it just, it's all different. There are certain estates that just won't allow stuff to get used, but most of the time it can get done if you go through the proper channels to do it. And you don't wait till three weeks before you're delivering assembled masters and artwork to put out a record. But Wyclef Jean and the rest of the producers on the score were not exactly industry veterans while they were writing and recording their album. And they weren't really that versed in this relatively new era of copyright law. They hadn't asked for permission before putting the record out, which turned out to be not a great idea. They released the record, and it was going to be huge, so huge, that it got back to Enya in her European castle. I told you she was famous. In a 2016 interview with Forbes magazine, Enya explained, quote, it was a case of I wasn't featured at all on the credits, and it was very much a part of the song. By all means, if you want to sample a piece, but come forward. Let's hear the song. And if we're happy to go ahead, we will absolutely approve. Enya's management and her record company were insisting that Ready or Not be removed from the album. I'm trying to imagine a score without Ready or Not, and I, I just can't. I also can't imagine that the album would have been as successful without it. 
So, as you can imagine, the band and the label were shook. Fortunately for everyone, Enya personally okayed the release of Ready or Not as it was. As soon as she made sure that the Fugees were not gangsta rappers. Sony Records agreed to put a sticker on all copies of the score, crediting her for her sample. And there's something so 90s about that. About wondering if somebody's gangsta rap. And Sanuel Ahmed from Genius. Like, that, that's really what the stigma was back then. It was that much where it's like, I'm not even going to clear your sample if you're a rapper or if you're cursing on my track. And I think that's one of the things that they did at that time. They showed, like, it could be hip-hop, but it could also be, it's socially conscious, which always existed, which is always kind of a, you know, tricky term of rap. But it was also like pop music in that way, where it was like, actually, you know, you could sell, you know, 20, 30 million records doing this, this style of rap. Because... You know, again, even the guys who were doing that, like De La or Tribe and stuff like that, they were big artists, but they weren't that big. They weren't selling, you know, five, 10 million copies of their albums. But um, the Fuji's kind of, I don't know if they opened the door for it, but definitely were a big part of, of ushering that era in. But why an Enya sample? And also, like, how? I know how I came to know Enya. I knew some Mormon missionaries when I was young. And they're not allowed to listen to music with words. So at the time, Enya tapes were getting traded back and forth between these guys, like how I imagined, you know, DC hardcore bootlegs were floating around in the late 80s. How did Clef and them get to the Enya party? Was Enya just popping up in East Orange, New Jersey, playing underground shows? Wyclef, in a 2019 interview with Vulture, said, quote, As a very eclectic producer, a lot of what I was listening to was coming out of Europe, so sometimes it took people a minute to hear where I was coming from. He added, When I played the sample, just by itself as a sample, without the breakbeat, it was just, Where are you going with this? I was like, Yo, trust me. When the break's on it, it's going to sound crazy. And he was right. That sample is a huge part of one of the most recognizable song intros of the era. In addition to that Enya sample, Ready or Not contains elements of three other songs. Ready or Not, Here I Come by the Delphonics, Buffalo Soldier by Bob Marley and the Wailers, and If I Rule the World by Curtis Blow, which Lauren would go on to help interpolate with Nas. Enya herself has come around quite a bit too. Bodicea has since been sampled by artists like Meek Mill, Puffy, Scarface, and Vic Mensa. And in the meantime, I think, a lot of industry folks learned a lot of lessons from the Enya situation. And there were others like it at a time that were doling out education as well. One lesson learned is that it's not always better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Here's Chris Schwartz. I never want to ask forgiveness. I'm a believer of getting it done up front because here's the simple fact of the matter. The ultimate remedy for somebody whose composition has been uh, used in a court of law is considered willful infringement. And 
the penalties can be uh, legally, the plaintiff is entitled to damages that are astronomical for each record, not just a, you know, a blanket thing for X amount of records for each record. So you kind of have to play ball regardless. So it's always, always uh, in everybody's best interest to get it done ahead of time. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you and take it slowly. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you and make you yeah. want me. Now that I escape, sleep, walk away. Yeah. Those who correlate know the world they kick. Jail bars ain't golden gates. Those who fake, they break. When they meet their 400 pound mate, if I could rule the world, everyone would have a gun in together, of course. When get the up and on their horse, kick around, drinking moonshine. I pour a sip on the concrete for the deceased, but no, don't we? Why Clef's in the state of sleep? One album, 41 samples. Now that's nowhere near the record. Off the top of my head, I can think of the over a hundred that Paul's Boutique has. And people have spilled a lot of ink going over the ins and outs of all of that. The score and its samples and interpolations and covers were a Frankenstein of ideas and influences. Of culture and family. Of hip-hop, soul, R&B, and reggae. Of Wyclef, Praz, and Lauren. I've gotten to do four episodes about this album, and I'm still buzzing from getting to talk to all of the people who let me bend their ear about the subject of this podcast series, and, and I hope I didn't show too much of my hand as a super fan of this album. This is the first season where I've gotten to dive into something released within my lifetime, and it felt especially good digging into something I've loved for so long in real time. Albums like this, with its trove of samples, did a job that maybe it didn't intend to. It turned on kids like me, who were old enough to buy records, but at that weird age where your parents' music was just what you listened to on Saturdays when they made you help clean the house. The score, and 90s hip-hop at large, made our parents' music cool to our ears. And that Mormon missionary had no idea he was sitting on one of the dopest samples of all time. And that's probably the most unintended part of all of it. For Consequence of Sound and Sony Legacy, I'm Jill Hopkins. And this has been The Opus. I'll see you next season. With my poop from like high. I refugee from Guantanamo Bay. That's around the border like I'm cash. Ready or not, yeah. here I come. Yeah. You can't hide. Yo, nobody. Gonna find you and take it yeah. slowly. Ready or not, yeah. here I come. Consequence Podcast Network.
Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steyer-Blondie. This is Roland Ozebal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.